That's a great story. I appreciate those guys that work every week for us. You know, not only uh, do they uh, help us as we uh, are in our parking or getting on a golf cart to go to the doors, but uh, they really help our guests in a big way. When someone drives onto the property, they don't know where to park. They don't know what door to go into. The, the worship service center, the worship center has 12 doors by which you can enter. And who would know on the first time here, what door do I go through? So it's really important for people to be out there to help. And did you know that when a person visits our church, within the first five to seven minutes, they decide whether they're coming back or not? Five to seven minutes. That's really amazing. So what that says is that every one of us is important in reaching out to people and, and just uh, meeting them and greeting them. And maybe somebody you don't know that you can take time to say, hey, uh, I'm, I'm John and, and we're so glad that you're here today. Hope you enjoy your worship experience. Such a big thing for us as we reach to people all around us. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to take them and turn to Matthew chapter four and also Matthew chapter 14, two texts that we'll look at today. We'll introduce this with Matthew chapter 4, but we'll really be in Matthew chapter 14. The title of the message today is Follow Me, Follow Me. The second of five key commands that Jesus gives his disciples. Now, we're in the Replicate series right now. That series has to do with how Jesus replicated himself and his ministry through his disciples to other people. And you and I today are here because someone was trained by someone who was trained by someone to pass on the gospel of Jesus. And we hear it today and we respond to that. So replicate is our focus. As a matter of fact, uh, four more weeks of this series, these five commands of Jesus, this is the second one that we're looking at today. And on September the 16th, in four weeks, we have a replicate event on Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. Mark that on your calendar. All of you are invited to that. We're gonna celebrate those five calls and find out where are we and are we following all five calls of Christ? Now, as you look on the screen, you're gonna see a diagram that we put together and that diagram has to do with the overall picture of what it means as a leader and as an apprentice to learn to follow Christ and to learn to serve the Lord in some particular way. You'll see on the screen the five calls on the left, come and see, and then today we're focusing on follow me. Then you'll see the leader role and the apprentice role. For just a few moments, let's look at the leader role. Anytime a leader wants to pass on his ministry and encourage someone else to step up to that level of leadership, he says, follow me. I do, you watch, we talk. I do, you watch, we talk. And so the largest commitment made is by the leader who says, I'm going to be leading the way. I'm gonna show you how to do this because God has sent someone else to show me how to do that. Now, these years later, I'm growing as a leader and I wanna pass it on. The apprentice role, on the other hand, is what we would call an inverted uh, triangle. And that is, you have the smallest amount uh, as an apprentice, and that is just be available. You're doing the watching. The leader is doing, you as an apprentice are watching, and then there's that interaction there where we learn to discuss why we did what we did, and you're just being available. You know, the most important step of leadership is the A, be available. Available is a key word. So many of us don't make ourselves available to serve the Lord, to be used by God, but when a person steps up and becomes available, that first step into being able to impact more and more for Christ. And this diagram was built on the scriptures that we're looking at today and over the last few weeks and next few weeks. So stand with me as we read Matthew chapter four today, beginning in verse 18. 
we'll read those four or five verses there and then we'll go over to chapter 14. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Last week, we looked at John chapter one, a very similar conversation, but some time has passed between Jesus and this, you'll come and see. And then this call extended to the disciples, follow me. So it wasn't at first glance that these disciples dropped their net and followed Jesus because he looked divine, but because they had examined him and evaluated him and found him to be exactly who he said he was. So now when he says, follow me, the Bible says immediately in verse 20, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. To follow Jesus, there's a leaving behind of something else in order to follow him. Always, always that's true. That's really true in salvation. It's true in every aspect of your life. So for the next 10 chapters, it's Jesus and the disciples. It's not Jesus did this and Jesus went there or Jesus came here. It's Jesus and the disciples did this. Jesus and the disciples went there. Jesus and the disciples traveled together. They watched him as he did what he did and they watched him and then they talked. And three incredible examples of that, I do, you watch, we talk, are in Matthew 14. So go to Matthew 14, beginning in verse 22. Jesus has just fed the multitudes. And we'll get to that in a moment. But in verse 22, he gives an order, a command. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Some of the greatest words that we can remember are those words, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. They imply that there will be times of fearfulness when we follow the Lord, that we need to have courage to follow the Lord. Take courage, do not fear, it is I. Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. This is one of the greatest understatements in the Bible. I mean, in what world would we say, oh, he got out of the boat and walked to Jesus on the water? I mean, that's just an un unbelievable understatement. Je Je the Bible says Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. I mean, that would have been an exclamation mark in my book to be able to say, you cannot believe what I saw Peter do. I mean, the guy who normally sinks like a lead weight is walking on water. So Matthew's very, uh, very casual about it. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. Those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, you are certainly God's son. Then verse 34, when they crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. That is, they got to the other side. If you like the fact that you see in this story that they got to the other side, would you say amen? amen. 
Because getting to the other side is a big deal sometimes. Sometimes we don't think we're going to get to the other side. Sometimes we don't think we're going to arrive at where Jesus tells us to go. But they got in the boat and they got to the other side because Jesus did everything that was necessary to get them there. So let's talk about some bread. Let's talk about some boats. Let's talk about how Jesus builds our faith today. Father, I ask you in Jesus' name that you speak to us powerfully with the command to follow me as you've given it to each of us. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we have a lot of information to look at today, but it all boils down to this. For everybody in the room, ultimately, ultimately, God always is building our faith and trust in him. That's what God's up to. If you want to know what God is up to in your life, it's building your faith and trust in him. It's not about making you comfortable. In fact, sometimes God has to make us very uncomfortable for us to have greater faith and greater trust in him. And so he says, follow me to these disciples. And they begin to follow him. And as they follow him, they're put in scenario after scenario, circumstance after circumstance, which is totally out of their wheelhouse. They're not able to do anything that Jesus is doing. They could just watch. And as they watch and as they listen, he communicates to them about what it means to walk by faith. And let me just give you this little, uh, little teaser. It really is the answer to everything. When Jesus calls, faith is the right response. When Jesus calls, faith is the right response. Come and see. Okay, I'm going to come and see. And, and look at and see what you say, Jesus. I'm going to examine your claims and I'm going to trust you that you are who you say you are. Follow me? Is that the question you're asking me? Okay, I'm gonna follow you, but I know it demands that I walk by faith and not by sight. I know I have to suspend my sense of reason and the way I think things should go down and happen, and I have to trust you because to follow you means something very different from how I live life otherwise. Some background here. This was the worst of times for the disciples, having followed Jesus for quite some time now. And it was the worst of times because John the Baptist has just been beheaded. To read chapter 14 in entirety is to read the story of John the Baptist being beheaded. He took a stand against Herod. And an unusual story and twist of events, Herod put him to death. And now the news of that has come back to Jesus and the disciples. Jesus and John the Baptist are cousins, as you know. And the reality is some of these disciples who are following Jesus now were first following John the Baptist as we read last week in John chapter one. So their hearts are broken. John the Baptist is dead. And to add on top of that, there's this amazing press of the crowd that's coming all around them. Jesus is withdrawing, but the crowd is following him everywhere. And if you look in chapter 14, verse 13, those needy crowds just kept coming. So they're weary, they're worn out, they're disappointed, and yet Jesus is leading them to minister to the crowd. Just a statement for us today. Hard times give birth to unforgettable miracles. Some of us are of the mindset that we run from hard times or we just seek refuge in hard times. But the hard times that God places us in are the times of growth, the times of trust, the times where we learn to be not ourselves but allow Christ to live in us in a more powerful way. If you don't have hard times, you cannot grow in your faith. And so if hard times are coming, just let me tell you, they precipitate, they precede growing times. 
Like my old football coach used to say when he'd send us to the weight room, no pain, no gain. If you don't like pushing against the resistance, you're never gonna get stronger. You're never gonna get better. And if you don't like the hard times where Jesus calls you to follow him and it gets difficult and the winds are contrary, then you're never gonna grow in your faith. And the ultimate goal God has is to grow you in your faith and trust in him. It's always what he's about. And so in this unfolding of several events, we see three different ways in which follow me becomes personal to us. First of all, Jesus is saying to the disciples, follow me in the crowd. Follow me in the crowd. So we have in verse 15 and following this feeding of the multitudes. And if you go back and read that with me, it's a worthy read because even though we understand the story as it unfolds, we know it by heart, there are some details here that are important. Verse 15 says, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and the hour is already late, so send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And that's the first clue that we're about to go through a really tough time. You give them something to eat. Now, as you read through the text, you realize there are 5,000 men that are not counting the women and children Possibly 10 to 12,000 people are there hungry. The place is desolate. That means Chick-fil-A is closed, like on Sundays, what that means. <laughs> There's no place to find any food. There's no place to feed all these people. And so what Jesus says to them, Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of those disciples for just a few moments here they are, disappointed with all the things that have transpired, trying to follow Jesus. And you know, Jesus tells them to do something they know in their minds, their small minds. They know there's no way possible to feed this crowd. They said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food. And breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples. He involved them. Watch Watch, be involved, be available here. He gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. That's a great line there. If you wanna see miraculous things take place, just read the Bible. They all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over, the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. There were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. So are you picking up some of the details of this? How many baskets were there, by the way? That's something you can answer. How many baskets were there? How many baskets were there? Twelve. How many disciples were there? The idea here is that Jesus is giving a very personal example and a personal lesson of faith for the disciples themselves. Twelve baskets left over. Twelve disciples. Follow me in the crowd. So Jesus is facing this crowd that's come pressing around him, and he's simply saying, just be here with me. Follow me for those who are following Jesus, follow me means just be here with me. Just observe how I respond to this turn of events. Just notice what I do. And as you see this unfold, you've got to pick up the fact that these disciples were challenged in everything Jesus said to them, even in knowing the need that was going on right there. You see the argument they gave? Lord, we can't feed these people. We only have five loaves and, and, a, and a few fish. And so we can't possibly do that. We have here only. 
Now, do you notice in this story that Jesus is absolutely undisturbed by the amount that they have? It's not like Jesus said, oh my goodness, I didn't think about that. There are only five loaves and two fish. How are we going to get these people fed? Do you notice that Jesus is never as disturbed as we are by how little we have, by what we think we lack, by what we think there's not enough of? Jesus is never bothered by that because Jesus is the multiplier. Because Jesus is the one that can transform this whole situation and do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think. And these disciples are about to learn an amazing lesson. You don't have a lack of anything except faith. Following Jesus brings us to the place of saying we don't have anything that is lacking. We make too much out of how little we have. And that's faithlessness. What is faith? Faith is bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. Yeah, it's true that five loaves and two fish are nothing in your hands. But five loaves and two fish are everything in Jesus' hands. And everything we give to him is enough because he himself is sufficient in all of his ways. And he's teaching these disciples, give what little you have, bring what little you have, and I'll take care of the crowd. Now, I want to stop the scene for just a few moments because this was a movie unrolling that I would say, stop for just a moment. And let's think about what would happen if the disciples had said, no, we're not going to do that. Jesus, we're not going to put these five loaves and two fish in front of you because what would happen if you tried to feed the crowd and it was unsuccessful? Well, you would lose your following. Everyone would say, there's no way he's really the Messiah because he tried to feed 5,000 men with Five loaves and two fish. No, we're going to stop the, the train before it gets to the broken bridge. We're just not going to do it. But that's not what they did. They gave the bread to Jesus. If they'd obeyed, then they could see a miracle. But if they disobeyed, the disciples would have missed an opportunity. The crowd would have lost a miracle. We would have lost a faith story that encourages us to this day. Let me just say something to you that's very important. When you obey Christ and his call to follow him, when you obey God, even when you don't see the reason why, it may be years down the road, maybe decades, maybe whole generations that you look back and see the impact of your faith on many people. There were probably 10 to 12,000 people that day that walked away amazed at the power of God because the disciples did not say no. They brought the bread, they brought the fish to Jesus, they trusted him to do what he said he could do. We stop miracles when we say no to serving, no to giving, no to obeying. So the crowd experience is believing God to do something in a crowd by taking our little part, whatever that is, and multiplying that. Some of you are here today saying, well, I don't have anything to give to the kingdom. I don't even have five loaves and two fish. doesn't matter how much you give. It matters, are you willing to give what you have? Because when it comes to the place of that amazing miracle, it's all about saying, I trust you for whatever you're going to do. So they give it to Jesus. He blesses it and he feeds them all. And the Bible says 5,000 men, verse 21, besides women and children. And then they took up baskets again. How many baskets did they take up? And how many disciples were there? I mean, you guys are passing this test like, I mean, just really good. Doesn't take a math major to be able to do that. Jesus is saying, watch me. As I take what they have, 
and I give it to them. Just watch. We'll talk. I'll explain to you why we do it that way. Follow me in the crowd. And then Jesus does something else. He takes them from the crowd and the amazing miracle of the mountainside and moves them into a boat. So now it's about following me in the small group. Now go to verse 22 there. It says, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. And immediately it begs a couple of key questions. Number one is, why did he stay? Number two, what did he pray? Now I've been on the Sea of Galilee before, one time in my life, and I was on a big boat, a very uh, strong, reputable vessel with a group of people taking a tour of the Holy Land. And while we were on that big boat, we were out at the spot they said that was about the spot where these disciples were in Matthew chapter 14. It's about three to four miles off the shore, very deep part of the water. And in that area of the Sea of Galilee, storms and winds would blow down off the mountainside very rapidly and without any warning at all. And all of a sudden the winds could be very, very contrary. I also went to a museum where I saw a boat much like what the disciples must have fished in. And I want you to know, it is not confidence inspiring to look at one of those boats at all. I mean, I was astounded that these men would be in a boat like that and actually make a living off a boat like that. But there they were in this little dinky boat out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They obeyed and now he's testing their faith with this huge storm that's blowing in. The winds were contrary. I can't help but reading when I read this story to think about the theme song of Gilligan's Island when I watched it as a little boy growing up. (laughs) No expectation of a storm, but here they are up on a deserted desert isle. I would sing it to you, but you'd leave before the message was over if I did that. One of the ways that I term what's going on here, Jesus is brewing up a storm just for these disciples. It's kind of incredible that you can be in a boat that Jesus commands you to go in, and you can be going to the exact place he says to go to and still be in a storm. Did you know that? Did you know that you could be in the middle of God's will and the winds are contrary? And nothing seems to be going right? And everything seems to be contrary or difficult or there's suffering involved, there's difficulty involved. You know, 20th, first century Christians don't really understand this concept well, well enough, but being in the will of God and being in difficulty are sometimes synonymous. You think it was easy for Jesus to die on the cross? You think it was easy for those disciples to give testimony until they were placed to death? Now, we're not really called to do that exactly, but surely we can understand that being in the will of God does not mean everything is peaceful sailing all day long. If peaceful sailing is what you want, the will of God is not where you'll be. It's important for us to know that even though we're in the will of God, winds are sometimes contrary but that God has control of the winds and the waves. And he's teaching us to trust him. All storms are not bad. Peter, years later, the Peter who was in the boat, who saw the storm, writes these words in 1 Peter chapter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. It's not strange if you're in the fire. It's not strange if you're in the storm. It's by design. (laughs) You're in the storm because 
the one that you said you would follow is testing your faith and helping you be more reliant upon him and less reliant upon yourself. He's the Lord of the storms. That's why it's not bad to be in a storm and in the middle of the will of God. So Jesus comes walking towards them on the water and they think they see a ghost. In fact, that's what they get so afraid of, even more so than from the storm. They see this, this person walking on the water and they fear it's, it's a ghost. And I have to make, make middle note and I'll also personally point out that sometimes when we're in difficult time, we can't distinguish between good and evil. And the reason we can't distinguish between good and evil is because we have let our fear take over. So they see someone walking towards them on the water and they know who Jesus is and yet they think, oh, this must be a ghost. This can't be Jesus. Even though he multiplies the bread and the loaves, even though he raises the dead, surely that's not him walking on the water. Listen to me today, it's so important for us that when we're gripped by fear, we miss so much. We're fearful that who we see who's coming to inspire us and rescue us is not Christ. Or we're fearful that what's going on when we're in the boat is not of him. When in this case, it is absolutely of him. So here, Follow me means just listen to me, just trust me, just watch me, just remember what I did on the mountain. And essentially Jesus was saying, don't trust what you see or feel or suppose is happening. Listen to what I say. Follow me, listen to me, watch me. So we listen to him speak. You know, there have been times when I felt like I was so far out of the will of God because the circumstances were so difficult and I just had to remember what he called me to. And when I remember what he called me to, I realized it may be hard, it may be difficult, but he's with me there in that boat. So he is with you as well. So we trust him. We don't trust what we see. Now there are a couple of twists in the book of Mark which is another account of what we're reading in Matthew. And so I want you to look at Mark chapter six for a moment, verse 47. We'll have it on the screen for you. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land, seeing them straining at the oars for the wind was against him. At about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and he intended, here's the key line. Did you catch this? Don't miss this, don't miss this. He intended to pass them by. In other words, Jesus was not walking out there to get them, but to let them see him and for them to remember by faith, who he was. In addition to that, they had those 12 baskets. And with those 12 baskets in the hands of those 12 disciples, they had a memory of what went on in the mountain. There's a reason why the 12 baskets. Now, if you're a disciple, and I'm a disciple, we've just fed a multitude, and then Jesus says, now I want you to go down there and get in that boat and go to the other side. That's a long journey. So those 12 baskets, I'm almost sure, were in their hand. And as they get out into the water, they've got the baskets in their hand, but they've forgotten the one that gave them the baskets of food. Amen. So here you have this picture in Mark. In Mark chapter 6, verse 51, you see this. He got into the boat with them after all that unfolded. The wind stopped and they were utterly astonished because they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves. They'd forgotten who he was on the mountain. They'd forgotten the bread he provided for them, which was as tangible as you can get. 
And by walking by them, not intending to get in the boat with them, he was just simply saying, I, I, I've watched you and I know you've watched me. Just trust me for this small miracle that you need. What was happening was what they saw him do in the crowd, they couldn't imagine him doing in the small boat they were in. Let me just say this. God never wants the miraculous or the powerful thing that he does in the crowd to make you think that you have to be in the crowd to get it. He wants you to experience it in the boat, in the small group, in your family, in your marriage. You know what gets me is that people want God to move in their lives, but they don't think he can do it in their boat. They wanna go somewhere else. They wanna find some other multitude that needs feeding. They wanna find some other scenario where it seems like God is working, but they never look for him in the boat. And let me tell you, if you miss him in the boat, you're gonna miss him in the crowd. In your boat, in your small group, in your family, in your marriage, in your circle of friends, that's where Christ wants you to follow him. That's where he wants to work. And some of you need to believe that he can do that. Follow me in the small boat. What if God wants to take your boatload of people and do something powerful? What if he wants to take that boatload of people in your house, that boatload of people in your small group, in your connection class, in your home group? What if he wants to take that boatload of people that are contrary and facing winds right now and do something amazing and powerful? Would you say yes to the follow me in the small group? And then at the end of this story, there's another part of this. Follow me personally. Ultimately, it moves from the crowd to the small group, to the individual. Peter did the individual today. In verse 28, Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. There's gotta be a really good lesson in this or it wouldn't have been included. Ultimately, that lesson is that it gets personal between Jesus and you. And here's Peter willing to try it. I like Peter, I enjoy Peter a lot. I think most of us identify with, with Peter's um, uh, boldness at times and other times abject fear. Uh, some of us identify with Peter putting his foot in his mouth at all times and uh, it's easy for us to see that. Peter has been the one that's made most of the mistakes all of us make at some point in our life, but he's also the dude that steps up every once in a while and says, I wanna walk by faith, me, choose me. And that's what happens here. Peter is feeling the personal challenge of follow me right here. And so he steps out, takes it to the next level. The Lord, if it's you, bid me to come out and walk on the water with you. In other words, he's saying, Lord, if you'll say it, I'll obey it. I think I'm starting to get this a little bit. That, that what you say, that's what happens. So if you'll say to me to come, if you'll give me a command, I'll do it. And I don't know how I walk on the water, but I, I imagine I walk on the water because I'm imitating you and because I'm trusting you and your power to help me walk on the water. If you say it, I'll obey it. And here follow me means imitate me, where Jesus is saying, okay, come. And so he gets out of the boat and he did the impossible. He walks on the water. Come on, folks, say amen. My goodness. The man walks on the water. Now, you and I, 
We struggle to get our hands around this, our minds around this, but for good reason. It's a difficult thing to imagine someone walking on the water the way Jesus walked on the water and then Peter actually walked on the water. What's happening is Peter is so believing Christ, so focused on Christ for these few moments that he's actually imitating Christ in a powerful way, which is the end goal of follow me, that you would imitate Christ. Not to walk on water, but to imitate Christ. Now, there's a disclaimer here that's very important. And that disclaimer is don't get out of the boat and try to walk on water unless he tells you to, specifically. But if he tells you to, don't stay in the boat. Don't stay in the boat. Whatever he tells you, do it. Whatever he leads you in the way of trust, trust him. This is personal. It's not about anybody else. It's not about the crowd. It's not about the boat. It's about Peter. It's about you. Now, I know you've been told for good reason that, that life is not all about you and that, that following Jesus is not about you. And that's true in this sense. It's not about your desires and it's not about your comfort. It's not about your ease. It's not about, about whatever you think you ought to do. But in another sense, it is about you. It is about you being able to trust Jesus enough to put him in first place in your life. Trust Jesus more than you trust your own reasoning. Trust Jesus more than you trust your own experiences. It is about you coming to the place of saying, I absolutely am gonna believe him. It is about you. And it was about Peter. And so he gets out and walks on the water. Now we know the story's not over and that's why we love Peter as well because as he walks on the water, he does what? He sinks. The Bible says that he becomes very aware all of a sudden of the winds and the waves and takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to sink in the water. And he stopped obeying the come and he stopped obeying the fear not and he began to be distracted. And he, what he saw and what he felt became more real than the words he had heard. And so then he descended into the water. And I love this part of the story as well. There's so much of it here because once he descended into the water, Jesus reached down when he cried out, help me, Lord, and lifted him back up. Isn't that just like Jesus to do that? Oh, well, sink. If you're not gonna do what I tell you, sink. Some of you are fearful that when you follow Jesus, he's gonna let you sink. He'll only let you sink if you take your eyes off him. He'll only let you sink if you begin trusting yourself. He won't let you sink if you trust him. And I love the picture I saw some time ago of Peter beneath the surface of the water and the artist was really good at being able to depict the fact that his face was underwater but looking up to the light and to where Jesus was and his hand is extended above the water and then the other side of the picture was a, a hand of Jesus supposedly reaching down and bringing Jesus back up. And I, I like to call that picture faith underwater because sometimes our faith is underwater. Have you been there before? Say amen. And you're here today so he reached down and picked you up. Say amen. Jonah was underwater for three days in the belly of the whale. Paul shipwrecked and in the water, faith underwater. When it's the worst possible scenario, when the storm is at its greatest, when you don't have any idea of when he's gonna reach down and pick you up, you just keep trusting. Why are these stories in the Bible? So that you would be willing to get wet, so that you would be willing to take a risk, so that you'd be willing to follow the Lord in every way. In verse 32, when they got into the boat, and I love this, 
Jesus got him into the boat. I don't know if Jesus picked him up and carried him back to the boat or whether he got him back on the water and he walked. I don't know. One day I'll ask Jesus that question. You can too. It'll be a great answer, I'm sure. And those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, you are certainly God's son. He believed again one way or another. And the result, he became one of the greatest leaders in the kingdom of God. Peter, that guy. That rough fisherman. Let me just tell you today, Jesus is about making us and his disciples just like he did with James and John and Peter and Andrew and Nathaniel. And it's personal. It's personal to him. And it's personal to you. These same disciples he took on the Mount of Transfiguration. He told them who he was and what was going to happen. He took them to a Mount of Ascension. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said to these guys, these same guys, Jesus and the disciples, same guys, said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even the uttermost part of the earth, which was an impossible command if I've ever heard one. This little band of followers, you're going to make sure everybody on the face of the earth hears about me. Wow, you got to have some faith to believe that. You know why you're here today? You are here today as a follower of Jesus Christ because they believed him then. Or we would not have faith today. We would not have this story. We would not have the Bible. We would not have the faithful proclamation of the gospel through all these centuries. It all starts with follow me. I want you to bow your heads for just a few moments. What is it saying to you when you hear the words, follow me? Our counselors will be at the front. I'm asking them to come now. These next two or three minutes will be very, very important minutes because you're going to have to decide like Peter had to decide, like James and John had to decide, will I follow Jesus? Will I, will I follow him? Will I keep following him when the storm is around me? Will I keep following him when things don't seem to be going so well? Will I, will I follow him when I don't get my way? Will I follow him when, when I don't see the end in sight? Will you follow him? Because what's happening right now is he's, he's teaching you to trust him. So do it, just trust him. It, it all begins with putting your faith and trust in Jesus. He says, come and see and Examine me and now come and follow me. Let me, be my, let me be your Savior. Let me be your Lord. But you must put your confidence that what I did on the cross was enough to give you eternal life and forgive you of sin. And today, some of you need to walk forward, take a hand and say, today, I'm following Jesus. I'm following him. I'm going to ask that you stand right now. And as you stand, you have about eyes closed. Is there anybody in the room today that knows that they need to take this next step? of putting their faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And if that's true, if that's you, while everybody else's head bowed, eyes are closed, take this opportunity right now to slip out from wherever you are. There are people here at the front that would love to talk to you, love to pray with you. And right now, wherever you are today, at this moment, Jesus is asking you in a very personal way, will you follow me today? Will you do that? Will you do that just right now without waiting for anybody else to, to respond first, you respond first. You say yes. Because just like Peter heard the word come and just got out of the boat immediately, maybe you need to get out 
of your safe place and come to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Just walk this aisle. Take this hand right now. Let somebody pray with you. Let somebody encourage you. Let somebody build you up. There may also be some people in this room that have already put their faith and trust in Jesus, but you're in a boat on a stormy sea. And you need encouragement. You need someone to pray with you and to believe with you to get to the other side. Would you come? Just come. Just step out. Don't worry about anything. Just step out and come and let someone pray with you and join you in that prayer. Help me get to the other side. Help me in the middle of the storm. Help me believe Jesus at a tough time in my life. Wherever you are, just get out of where you are. Walk forward right now. People are praying. People are waiting. That'll encourage you. We'll wait just a minute. It's not too late. Maybe somebody else in the room that says, you know, the Lord is really calling me to follow him in a deeper level. Kind of like Peter. And I'm afraid of leadership. I'm afraid to step up and put myself out there. I'm afraid that it might not work out well. I'm not confident in my gifts or my calling or my skills. I'm not, I'm not sure, but he may be calling me to something special. Maybe it's here at First Eulis in some small group, or maybe it's, it's calling you to serve him in a kingdom way. I don't know, but would you come today, pray with someone about that. Let's find out with you, what is Jesus calling you to do? Just come right now. Can't think of a better time, can't think of a better message. This is an incredible text that challenges us to the core to follow Jesus. Would you come? We'll wait just another moment or two. I'm going to close this in prayer. And as I do that, I want to remind you of two things. Number one, I'd love to visit with guests at the guest reception center. If you want to come, I'd love to spend a few moments with you right outside the center exit door. Number two, these counselors remain at the front. They're here. They're here for you. Even after this closing prayer, they're here for you. And while almost all of them are busy right now, there are others that will help you. I want you to come. Don't make your way out, make your way up and hear the call of Christ. Father, I thank you today for the incredible privilege of looking in your word and worshiping. And Lord, today my prayer is that not a person will leave this room today without deciding to follow you. Whatever that may mean for them, wherever they are in their faith journey, help them to hear your call and to say yes. And Lord, today some have already responded. There are more that need to Father, all of us, all of us, we must say yes. There's no greater life, no greater way, no more hope anywhere else than in you. So together we say yes. In Jesus' name, amen.